Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. We're happy to invite our brother Ken back up for our Bible Instruction Time. Brother Ken, please. Well, that was a delightful time, wasn't it? Around the Word. That was a, that was a delightful time. And, and you know, you, you really shouldn't say these kind of things, I suppose, but because it seems to you know, take away from the center on the Lord. But, I, you know, Lanny, that prayer that you gave, it was like a needle going through all the points with a little knot on the end. It went through all the things that we spoke about, and you got to the end, and you pulled it, and it pulled all of those thoughts together to center around the Lord Jesus, whom we came to worship and remember. So thank you for that. It was it was just a beautiful way to kind of sum that all up that we that were on our heart this morning as we were around this table. We are back in in our study of the of the life of Elijah, and we're going to begin reading in in chapter sixteen again. You know, as we as we drive along sometimes on the highways, and mostly you find these mostly on some of the rural roads. You know, you'll be driving along, and and sometimes there'll be a little warning sign, one of those little brown signs, or sometimes they're green, I guess, that says historical marker ahead. A lot of times they don't even say that, and a historical marker will all of a sudden appear. And I love historical markers. You know, I wish I could stop at them all. I'd stop and read every single one of them, but, you know, you can't do that when you're on a trip because they come up frequently and you can't stop and see them. Some of them are really important. You know, they tell you some really good historical data about the area that you're in, and sometimes those are fun to read. Sometimes you have to read one side and go around to the other side to get the story continued, but some of them are good. Some of them are you know, like so-and-so built a house here back in 1852, and he had 14 children. And, and you can say, well, I don't care. You know, it doesn't really impact history all that much. But to the locals, it was important to see. I remember going into a, another one that's insignificant. I remember going into a, a place that Grant Scott would take me for breakfast from time to time. We were visiting him up in, in Kennesaw, Georgia, and he, he would take us into this little biscuit place. And outside, it had one of those historical markers on the outside, and that historical marker said, back in, and I think it was June of 1865, nothing of importance happened here. <laughs> well, that was an important little historical marker. But the reason I bring up historical markers is because in our hurry along last week, we missed a very important historical marker that the writer of Scripture gives to us under inspiration of the Spirit of God. And he places these things, as he does throughout the Word of God, these little historical markers, to get our attention about something. To get our attention about something. And in our hurry, we drove right by it. But I want to go back and just for a couple of moments look at it again. It's in verse 34. You know, we're flowing along. You're nodding back there. You saw that historical marker. We went right by it. and <laughs> We rode right by it. It says, in his days, and this is the days of Ahab, he's spoken about, Hael of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundations with Abram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Sigub. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through 
Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, why put that little historical marker? Why put that little pedestrian kind of thing in the middle of this great story that we're going to, to be reading? Why did he give us that story? Some say it's, it seems to be out of place. I don't think it's out of place at all. Because God is now going to remind, he reminds us with this, and he's going to remind us as we go into the story of Elijah, that God, when he says things, means it. That when God, when he says things, he means what he says. And you'll remember that back in in Joshua, that when Jericho was destroyed, that it was said that Jericho would not be rebuilt. And if someone tried to rebuild it, he would rebuild it with the cost of his his, uh, firstborn son and his youngest son. They would die. That would be the cost of rebuilding Jericho. And here during the time of Ahab, when people had walked away from the things of God, they walked away from the law of God. They walked away from the law that told them about, you should have one God, no other gods before me. You should not make an image, a graven image. They walked away from all of that. And they walked away from the curses and the warnings that God had given. And he rebuilds Jerusalem. What does it cost him? It costs him his firstborn son. And it cost him his youngest son. Just as God said it would. And so he puts this historical marker here to, to uh, almost like a precursor to the story that he's about to tell us now to remind us that God's word is reliable. God's word is true. What God says he will do and it will happen. And so you get this thing about what God says he can perform, he can perform, and he will do. And here's the warning that he gives in this marker. And as we go forward, we see that it reminds us of other markers. Because as we saw last week, when Elijah goes before Ahab in this first encounter that he had with him, it is, it shall not rain except by my word, and again, bringing him back to the curses of Deuteronomy 28. And what God said he will do, he will do. Now for us, we we run through a historical marker like this, but if we pause and we consider it for ourselves, we can say the same thing, that what God has said he will do, he will do. What God promised as far as judgment that is coming on a world that rejects him, he will do. When God promises redemption to those who place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will do. If he promises security for us, as we've been talking about, even thinking about this morning, he will do it. But in this case, we're talking about the judgment that God will bring. And what he says, he will and can perform. So that's that little historical marker that we missed last week. And you may have some other thoughts on that that marker, but at least it is reminding them that what God declares, he will do. 
Don't put him to the test. Don't put him to the test. Because guess what? You will lose every time. You will lose every time. Now, by way of reminder, we said last week that there are six, there are seven times that the Lord speaks or communicates with Elijah. We mentioned last week that that is a small piece of time, a small segment of time in which Elijah hears the word and the voice of the Lord. The rest of his time, just like the rest of the life of all the patriarchs, all the kings who followed after the Lord, heard a voice. It's a small portion. The rest of the time, one is to live by faith in what he has heard and in what he has read. Elijah was walking by faith when he stood before Ahab that first time and declared that there would be no rain. He was walking by faith in the word that God had declared would happen. And so he's walking by faith. So in each one of these communications that God has with Elijah, even though there are only seven in his lifespan that are recorded for us, that doesn't mean that he didn't speak to him at other times, but the Spirit of God has made it clear that these are the times that he spoke to him. It is, it is a small amount of time. We have an advantage, I would dare say, over Elijah. We have an advantage over the patriarchs in that we have in our hand the completed word of God. And we can hear God speak to us through his word every day. Every day he communes with us. Every day we can hear his voice, as it were, through the very pages of these ancient words. I, I love singing that song, and I don't even know the words of it. I can only sing it when it's being played. Ancient words, ever true. Calling me and calling you. And let those ancient words impart. And those ancient words still speak to our hearts. Do you hear the voice of God every day? I'm not talking about an audible voice, and you know that. But do you hear the voice of God every day? Do you take the time to be in his word? And not just move by it like a historical marker, but to spend the time listening for what he has to say to you today. What things he wants to teach us today. Well, we saw last week that... God Two of those communications. Well, the first one, really, we saw the communication of God to Abram, to hide, to Abram, to Elijah, to hide. He says, after he declared unto him, unto Ahab, that it would not rain, then the word of the Lord came to him. That's significant, I think. The, the, the order is significant. We mentioned this last week, and I, you know, sometimes I forget what I say, and I don't remember what I say. I don't even know what I say. Half the time, I don't know what I say. Um, but he said, then... He, in his boldness and courage and faith and trust in the Lord, confronted Ahab over his sin. Then the word of the Lord came to him, and he hid him by the river chair. There's a, there's a, there's a correlation between those two things. And then he goes and hides him, and this is where we left him last week, if memory serves me correct. 
because my notes are of no help. Because sometimes I have lots of notes and I don't know which ones I cover and which ones I don't. But last week, I think we left him by the river Cherub and the river had dried up. Now, that's significant. And I was thinking about this even this morning as I was walking. I was thinking, you know, the river dried up. That didn't happen like overnight. Little by little, the water flow coming down the chair was less and less. As the drought went on, no rain was falling. Little by little by little, the creek was drying up. Elijah did not move. He did not, the the word at least doesn't tell us he did, and we can't enter into his thoughts because they're not here. But I wonder what Elijah was thinking as the water was drying up. Maybe I need to get someplace else. Maybe I need to help God out here a little bit. You know, the the water is drying up. Pretty soon, I'm not going to have anything to drink. I'm not going to have any water. Then it's pretty important to have water. Even in this land where water was getting scarce. I wonder what his thoughts were. What are our thoughts when our river seemed to begin to dry up sometimes? When we had abundance of provision... We had enough laid up that we built bigger barns. And all of a sudden, it starts, the river seems to be drying up. We're where God has called us to be. We're in the place God has asked us to hide, in that sense, hiding ourselves in him. And now, the resources seem to be fading. I wonder about that. I wonder about when we put our faith in and our 401ks, and then you hit an economic slump, and a depression comes, or a recession comes, and all of a sudden, all the funds that you thought were so much, all of a sudden, they're not going quite as far. You keep hearing about people's retirement savings just dwindling away. What do we do when the river, the stream starts drying up? What did Elijah do? He waited. He waited on the Lord. He continued to trust in the Lord who made provision for him. There were ravens coming, or Bedouins. <laughs> I believe it was ravens that were coming and feeding him. And God had provided, and the meat was still coming, the bread was still coming. But the water was drying up. It doesn't say that, that the birds stopped coming. So, what was he thinking? How was he planning? He was waiting on the next move of the Lord. And then when the river stopped running, it wasn't until it had dried up that he now hears the next directive of the Lord. And that's where we go to now. We go into now the next directive of the Lord that we find in chapter 17 in verse 8. Then the brook had dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, again, you have that little then. You waited to that point in time. The river was dried up. 
Elijah was waiting on God, waiting for his next direction, waiting for the next thing he would do. And when the time came, the Lord said to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. Okay, Elijah, you've been waiting. The stream has dried up, and now it's time to move on. What do we do when the streams dry up? Do we begin to think, well, maybe I'm not where the Lord wants me to be. Maybe, I, maybe I've misunderstood what the Lord desires from my life. Maybe these provisions now of the Lord have dried up because, because I'm not where he wants me to be. And you know, maybe that's true. I remember a story that I've told you before. At least I'm quite sure I've told you before. When we first went out to the Philippines in 1987, and we were, we were in desperate need of funds right now because we had spent a lot of funds transporting our goods over. We've spent a lot of funds on our airline tickets. We've, and we were waiting now for the statement to come from CMML. It wasn't like today when you get it electronically, and as soon as they deposit, it's right there and you see it. You had to wait until it got in the mail, and the mail was delivered to Manila, and then Manila postmen delivered it up to our local area. Then you could go to the post office box and get it. And so we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we are drying up. And we had a lot of expenses. And so the statement came, oh, joy, rejoicing. Oh, here it is. Let's see how much the Lord has provided for us and for our needs for this month. We opened the envelope, and it was 60 Dollars, sixty dollars for the month, and we said to one another, "What are we going to do? Has the Lord have we misunderstood the Lord's leading? What are we going to do?" And so we prayed. We didn't tell you anything to anyone. We prayed, and a couple of days later. I went downstairs to my mailbox to see what was in my mailbox, and there was an envelope in there. I pulled out this envelope, and it was chock full of pesos. I forget how many thousand. It was like, like 20,000 pesos. That would have been plenty to get us through the month. And as I pulled it out and looked at it, and I was, my, I was almost thinking, you know, Lord, I can't believe that you've done this. He spoke to my heart in that moment in time. And he said to my heart, don't you be waiting for the CMML statement to take place. I will take care of you and I will determine how it's done. And that was a lesson to learn. And sometimes those are the lessons we need to learn. When the stream dries up, continue to just trust in me. I will care for you. So he says, Elijah, it's time to get up and move. I want you to go up to Zarephath. And there in Zarephath, I have, I have commanded a widow. And we're going to see as we, as we move along in the text, because our time is almost up, we're going to see that when he commanded this widow, the widow didn't appear to have any idea that the Lord had commanded her in any way. It wasn't like she said she was waiting in the gate. Oh, here comes Elijah. Uh, yeah, the Lord told me to take care of you. She doesn't even have a clue. 
of what God said, I have commanded this widow to take care of you. And we'll look at that when we come back after our nice little break. Father, we thank you for your goodness and the way that you care for your children. Even when we think things are drying up and we feel as if somehow we have made mistakes, and we do, but you are faithful and you provide and you care for us. And sometimes in that process, you move us to a place where we were not before. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you. We thank you for this little break now we have and for refreshments that you have provided. We pray that you would bless our time of fellowship together, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I will never leave you. Those are just wonderful words, aren't they? I mean, do you agree? Those are just wonderful words. It's, it's such assurance in our hearts as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that no matter where we're going or what we're going through, He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always there. You know, and, and uh, even though we might sometimes not sense His presence, the reality goes beyond our feelings and our emotion. He's there, and He never leaves us. And that's a wonderful, wonderful assurance. Turn back to the portion that we were reading earlier and that our brother Frankie read. I'd like to continue that reading from chapter uh, 17 and begin my section of reading at verse 17. This is the next section in his time in Zarephath. It says in verse 17, Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on this widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. Then Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house And gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God. And the word of the Lord is in your mouth. And it is true. And so the Lord allowed his blessing to this portion of his word as well. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the stories of the men and women that you have used down through history to bring about your purposes and your plans. Father, we are all imperfect people, and we all err. But Father, you're still willing and able to use us as we yield ourselves to you. As we read this story, as we look at it again afresh, may you speak to our hearts by thy Spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Elijah? Rise up now and go to Zarephath. What was in Elijah's mind 
when he heard those words. You know, we're, we maybe are unfamiliar with the areas that he's talking about, but Elijah was not. Elijah knew where Zarephath was. He knew that it was in the area where Sidon is, and he knew that Sidon was the place of, of Jezebel's birth and upbringing. He knew that Zarephath was right in Baal country, right in the heart of Baal country, where he is worshipped. He, he was telling him, now, now I'm going to take care of you, Elijah. Go up to Zarephath. Um, Lord, I think you made a mistake. You sure? He never, he, he's like Abraham in this account. What did Abraham think all night long when the Lord had said to him, take Isaac, your only son, and offer him on a mount that I will show you. We get the account. He rose the next morning and, and took him in and was ready to do it. Because overnight, while he was going through that, it appears as though he reasoned it through and said, if I offer him, God will raise him from the dead. And that's what Hebrews tells us. He knew that God was going to raise him from the dead because God made a promise. This is the son he promised. If he takes him away, he's going to give him back because he can't break his promise. What was Elijah's thinking as he went through the night? Okay, Lord, you're sending me right up into the lion's den. You're sending me right up in the heart of Baal worship. You're sending me right up to the one that I have defied in the presence of Ahab, in the presence of Jezebel, who has heard of what I proclaim. And now there is no rain because I have said it in your word and not because Baal has stopped it. And I'm going right up to where is the heart of Baal worship. I'm going right into this area of Phoenicia. What am I to do up there? So why bring up that kind of faith here? Well, because of where he's going. He's going to be taken by a widow now in the heart of Baal. And he's going to be in a city, not hidden by a brook, but where people can see him. Did people know Elijah had made this proclamation? We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. Do they know that there was no rain falling? They absolutely knew there was no rain falling. They knew there was a famine. And in all likelihood, because of Sidon being so nearby, and because of Jezebel, and because of Ahab, that they had heard that a prophet of God had made a proclamation. And that is why there may not be rain. But, 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 once Balaam is woken from his death, rain will come. And that would have been their hope. And then when he gets there, he says, you'll be fed by a, a widow. Now we realize, don't we? And we recognize from the culture of the time that widows were really those who were the most destitute in Israel most of the time. They were the ones who had so very little because, because without a husband, they were dependent on others to take care of them. And there's no indication here whatsoever that she had parents or that were still alive, that she had people who were going to take care of her. She had a household that she was taking care of. She had a son that she was responsible for. And she, as one of the lower rungs, if I can, and God always takes care of the widows and looks, and in his word, he, he commands people, to, the people of Israel to take care of the widows, but they're not in Israel. 
And she is not an Israelite. She is a Gentile. And she is a poor Gentile. And God says to, to Elijah, go on up. I've commanded a widow to take care of you. So Elijah, in obedience to the word of God, takes this long walk up to Zarephath. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I can't imagine what his thoughts were heading up. What is going to happen to me when I get to Zarephath? God has not revealed to me what I am going to face, except that he will take care of me there. And that is where I will place my faith and trust, that he will take care of me there. That is what he has promised. That's where we stand. That's where we stand. God has made promises to us. And we can trust in his promise and go where he has called us. Whether we understand what will happen next or not, we can trust him. Billy and I were talking earlier about the way the Lord has worked in some of these ways in our lives over the, over the past. You know, you, you, you feel a call of the Lord to do something. You feel a call of the Lord to go somewhere. And Joyce and I, back in 2007, when we were going to go up to the mountains, and I shared that story with you, how the Lord seemed to lead me up to the mountains. I had been going around. Well, I already told you the story, but I'm going to tell it to you again. As we were going around on a furlough, and I was sharing the work of the Lord in the Philippines and sharing what was going on, I kept saying that up in the mountains, up in Sagada, in that area, there is no one up there preaching the gospel or praying that someone will lead someone up there to, to take, take over that work that Mike and Bev Smiths have left behind to carry on that work. We're praying that someone will provide. And I'm walking around the grounds of CMML one day, and the Lord says, well, why not you? You're talking about this, and you're praying about it. Why don't you go? And I said, well, Lord, I guess that's not where I want to be. I'm a little bit nervous about going up to the mountains that far. I don't want to go up that far. And I said, I said to him as I was debating with the Lord, I said to the Lord this. I said, Lord, if you want me to go up to the mountains, you're going to have to make it really very, very clear to me. I went in to my regular reading of the day and opened up to Habakkuk where I was reading. And the first sentence was, go up to the mountains and make a temple for me. And I was like, now what am I supposed to do? Well, I guess I'm supposed to go to the mountains. Joyce was not privy to any of that. And I didn't say it to her. I didn't tell her about it. I didn't tell her about this, this struggle that I had with the Lord. And, and I'm at the next missionary meeting, and I'm telling people, sharing with them, and I say, the Lord has called us to go to the mountains of Sagada. And Joyce is like, what? After the meeting, I went up to Joyce and said, well, how did, how did it go? She said, I didn't hear anything after you said we're going up to the mountains in Sagata. And, and so I was in error, you know. Clearly I was in error. But the Lord moved in Joyce's heart as well. And we were on our way up to the mountains. And when we got up to the mountains, we were up in Baguio City. And we were going to use Baguio City as a, as a launching place, as a, as a home base to move up further into the mountains, go up to Sagada, go up to Bone Talk, up to those areas, way up in the mountains. We made our first trip up there. Oh, it was very positive looking. We met with a couple of men who you know, were interested in having a Bible study up there. We went up a second time. And then the Lord closed the door. 
And it's like, why? You called us up here. I was convinced you called us up here to the mountain. I, I heard your voice. Call us up to the mountain. What's happening? We'll, we'll plan another trip. We plan another trip. Typhoon comes through, locks the door. We plan another trip. Another typhoon comes. I said, I better stop praying for a trip because the people up there are going to be devastated with typhoons. And then we made another plan, and I ended up with my heart issues. And I was in, you know, in the hospital. I had all these issues, and the cardiologist was saying, you better not go up there. It's too far away. If you have trouble up there, there's no help for you. So now you're in that dilemma. What is it the Lord has called me to? Has he called me or hasn't he called me? And it wasn't until years later that I finally came to the determination that the Lord didn't want us in Sagada at all. He wanted us in Baguio. And the people in Baguio had prayed for six months before we got there, the Lord would bring someone up to teach them. And for the next eight years, we spent them in Baguio teaching the word of God to those dear saints. And I am convinced to this day that that is where the Lord wanted us to be. If I had said, Lord, I want to go up to Baguio, I, I would not have gone to Baguio. Baguio was a, a bigger city where there's all kinds of things available. It's a nice, cool climate. There's not any hardships there. It's pretty easy to get along in Baguio. And I was going to go to the hard places. But the Lord said, no, I want you right here. And so sometimes, even in our plans, even the way we plan, we think we know what we want. But the Lord has other plans. And Billy and I were sharing some of those stories of his life as well. The Lord has other plans. He goes up to Zarephath. And now he's, the Lord has said, I've commanded a woman to care for you. The woman, as I mentioned at the end of last session, the woman evidently and clearly had no idea that the Lord had commanded her to take care of Elijah. And here we enter into that realm of the sovereignty and providence of God. God had made it and prepared this woman's heart to even do what she did for Elijah, a Jew who was now coming to this Gentile city. And culturally, to ask for a glass of water was no big deal. We see that happen, all, we see that happen in Scripture a lot. Remember Abraham's servant going to look for a for Isaac, bride for Isaac, he comes and he says, uh, this will be the sign, Lord. If I ask her for water and she gives me water and then she fills up the trough and feeds, that will be the sign. Giving water was a, was a customary thing to do when it was needed. If a man came up to a well, and especially if there was a woman that was there, can you draw me some water? That was what she did. So that was no big deal. Can you give me a glass of water? Got her attention. She goes off to get it. Oh, oh, and while you're going, bring me some bread. And then she stops and she turns around. And you, you notice the providence of God where he put her right in the gate. Elijah didn't have to go into the city and look around and say, now, where is this woman? Is this the one over here? No, that doesn't appear to be. Is this the one? He brought her right there, right to his presence when he when he was in the gate. And she was gathering sticks. And she was gathering sticks, as she tells Elijah, because I have no, I've just a little bit of meal left. In my little bin at home, I have enough to maybe make a couple of little cakes. I have just a little bit, and I'm going to make that. I have a little bit of oil left so I can get it together and, and cook it. And then, then my, my son and I are going to eat it. And then in this very dramatic way, she says, and then we're going to die. 
Because what she means is, because we have nothing left and we're going to starve to death. There's nothing left. Unless somebody provides something for us, we're just going to die because we have nothing left. Just as they saw Isaac, just as Elijah saw the river drying up, she saw her bin of flour and meal getting smaller and smaller and her jar of oil getting smaller, less and less in the jar. And she realized that this is the end. There is no more left. If she could have gotten more, she would have already gotten more. She could not get any more. She had no resource to get any more. And she said, okay, this is it. I'm going to use this up now, and we're, we're just going to have nothing. We're going to starve to death. We're going to die. And Elijah says, oh, no, no, listen. Just listen to me. You go off and do as you said, but you make a cake for me first. That almost sounds a little arrogant, doesn't it? Does it sound a little arrogant to you? It, I mean, it sounded that way to me when I, every time I've read it, it's like, it's like, you know, um, yeah, I know you're, you and your son are going to eat this last one and die, but give it to me. You'll die sooner. You know, it's not, it's, it's, that's not the idea here. You know, he, he says, put God first by giving me this bread and God will provide, but put God first. And the woman goes, she makes the loaf, she brings it to them, they eat of it, and then it says, and they continue to eat of it, her, her son, Elijah, and her household. God provided, not simply for Elijah, God provided for this woman, he provided for her son, he provided for their household. And the bread kept coming. It wasn't like the bin filled up every day. It's kind of like the manna, you know. Every day you had to go back and you had to gather it. Every day, every time she went, there was that same little mountain there, the same little mountain in the jar. She would use it up, and then she'd come back the next time, be the same amount of grain, same amount. And she kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it, and it never ran out. You think that would make a big impression, don't you? Would you think it would make a big impression? It certainly began to speak to her heart. But there was no real, there was no real understanding that this is God who is doing this. There was no real understanding in her that this is what God has done. God was providing for them. And how often God is like that. How often he provides like that, where he provides for you. And because he's provided for you, you're able to provide for someone else. And then that one, provide for someone else. It was not just for her, her for, for Elijah's own use. It was for the widow, for her household, for her son. And he goes on, he says here, he provided for her. And there's, there's other lessons to be learned here, but we want to we move ahead. And so she went, she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she... And he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. You know, in a very lesser way, and I, I, I kind of hesitate to even use these kind of illustrations, and I better get moving because we don't have much time. Um, there were times in our missionary experience where we just did not have food to put on the table. We had crackers, we had cheese, 
We had a couple of small things, and we would put them on the table, and we would eat. And then we'd have crackers, and we'd have cheese, and we'd put them on the table and eat. And then we'd have bread, and we'd have peanut butter, and we'd put it on the table. And then we'd have a roast. And it was like, how did this all of a sudden happen? We had nothing, and now we have enough. Where did that come from? God working in the hearts of men and women who just not knowing the need provided. When, when Joyce's grandparents, when the Japanese began occupying the Philippines, they had no money coming in whatsoever because all the monies that would come in would come through the mails and the mails were stopped. They had nothing. They would go to the marketplace to buy a couple of little things. And as they're walking by, Filipinos in the stalls would take some stick it in their basket. If they got caught, they'd be in trouble. By the Japanese, they would take some stick it in their basket as they walked by. And God, through those Filipinos, many of them whom they did not know, God provided for them. And in their lack, they had enough. God is good. God is good. And he cared for them just as he cares for you and cares for me. And they had all that they needed. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. Doesn't say I might. I shall have everything my heart desires, but I shall not lack those things which I need. He will take care. He will provide. There are other stories coming to my mind, but I don't. I don't dare not go to them right now. Um, yeah, I will. They don't have to. I, I'm New England. I can talk real fast. There was. Uh, I had the privilege of reading Joyce's grandfather's diaries. Aunt Rose found them, and her, she asked me if I wanted to read his diaries, and I read his diaries. And in his diaries, there was a series of entries that went something like this. Funds are so low, I can't pay the mortgage on the house. Next month, still no money for the mortgage on the house. Next month, still no money for the mortgage on the house. If the mortgage is not paid this month, we will lose the house. Next entry, the Lord miraculously provided. We are all caught up on the mortgage, and we have enough for next month. Sometimes that's just the way it works. Sometimes that's just the way it works. So the Lord provided for her, for her household, and then this incident happens. Then this happens. The son, her only son, it appears to be, her only son, dies. And she jumps to the conclusion, as the disciples did at one point when the blind man, she says, uh, you were brought in here to uncover my sin, and in doing so, you've killed my son. And uh, Elijah later on will accuse God of the same thing. You killed this boy. Is life not in the hands of God? Is he the one who gives breath and takes it away? Did God in his, in his divine plan decide that this boy was going to die right here and right now? Yes. Yes. What was his purpose? Well, we see it in the story what his purpose was. 
God has purposes and designs. Sometimes that we don't understand and we don't grasp, but he has purposes and designs and things that he does and things that he allows. The woman jumps to the wrong conclusion. She says, you've, you've come here, she said, to reveal my sin. Oh, man of God, what have I do you do to you? What, what do I have to do with you? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and kill my son? What was this sin that she was talking about that she felt so guilty about? I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But there was something certain that she felt so guilty about. She believed this was what was bringing about the death of her son. And Elijah was taken by surprise. She was taken by surprise. That happens sometimes in our life. Things blindside us. They don't blindside God, but they blindside us. We're going along, everything seems well, and then bam, you get hit with something. And you start to scratch your head and you say, what is this all about? Why this? Lord, I've been, I've been seeking to do everything in accordance with what I believe you want me to do. I've been trying to live a life that honors you. And now this? And I've heard people say that with, with spouses. You know, I've, I remember being in the, uh, in the emergency room of a brother who had been in the assembly for many, many years. And his wife was killed in an accident. And as I went down into the, into the waiting room, I mean, into the emergency room where they were waiting, he was screaming and he was hollering and he was throwing fits and he was slamming things against the door and he was yelling out at God. Why have you done this? Why have you done this? And you can understand how a human responds. But God is God. And we ought to get it straight now in our minds that God is still sovereign that God still rules, that God still knows what tomorrow will bring when you don't. God still knows the moment he will take your spouse, the moment he will take your life, your life of your children. He knows all of those things, and it ought not to surprise us when it happens. That doesn't mean there's no grief. That doesn't mean there's no suffering. That doesn't mean there's no questioning as why now. That may be true. But the way that that man responded was to me, I, I, I cannot believe that a man of faith would respond in that kind of anger and vitriol toward God. Anyway, where did that fit in my story? I don't know. Oh, because the woman was, in, was angry and so was Elijah. Elijah got angry. And because now she says, you know, it's because of my sin. The disciples, you remember, with the blind man. Oh, Lord, was it he that sinned or was it his parents that sinned that he was born blind? No, it wasn't either of them. It was for the glory of God. It was for the glory of God. So that my works may be shown in him. So you're telling me that this man was born blind, lived his whole life blind, so that you could get glory in one moment. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's exactly what happened. And did God get glory? Well, the people saw it, and the man saw it, and he understood what happened, and he was rejoicing. But he had to go through all of those years of blindness before that. 
that's when we scratch our head and we say, hmm, Lord, I don't know how you work and why you work in that way. I don't know why you work in that way. We saw that story the other day. Um, oh, man, I, the clock is my enemy. Your friend, my enemy. I'm watching, we watched a movie the other day, and I think you've seen it. It was a movie about that young girl that, uh, that uh, ended up with an injury, and she was, uh, I'm trying to remember the details of it now. How? Yes, Miracle from Heaven. You've seen that story. It's, it's amazing how God used all of those times and then brought her back to what she was. That was a struggle. For the parents, I'm sure. But God had a purpose in it. And here God has a purpose in this. He has a purpose. And and Elijah is trying to figure out what's going on here. Why, Lord? Why have you brought this now? You brought me here to provide for me. And now you've killed this woman's son. That's what he says to God, doesn't he? He says to him, Why, he says, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on him. And we see this happening in other places too, don't we? Where where a man stretches himself out on another one and brings life back into them. We see that happening with Elisha, with the Shulamite son who died stretching himself on in her life so we see that we say that again with when um, in 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 acts with paul eye to eye mouth to mouth and he brings that poor guy who fell out of the window back to life how that works you can tell me later but he cries out to god to bring the soul of this child back and god said it says and god heard his prayer The prayer of a righteous man. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's what it says even in that context in James when it talks about Elijah's praying. He prayed and God brought life back into this child. And he brings her. He says, see, see, your son lives. Your son's alive. See, here he is. He's alive. And this is the conclusion. This is the part that God reveals to us was his purpose. He says, Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know you are a man of God. Now I know. The flour wasn't enough. The oil in the jar wasn't enough. She wasn't convinced by those things. She may have had some idea of something going on, but it, it, it seems to be clear that she wasn't convinced by those things. I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Do you think Elijah, during those those months and years that he spent with her, shared with her something about the Lord? I bet he did. I bet he did. How could he not? He's a prophet of the Lord. He knows the word of God. Word of the Lord. Was he sharing the word of God with this woman? And she was hearing about the things of God. She was hearing about how God had had delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. How he did it by the Passover. How he brought them out. How he delivered them. How he brought them into the land under Joshua and all that took place. Was was he not sharing with her the stories of the law and the giving of the law under Moses? I bet he was. 
I bet she heard a lot about the things of God in those years that Elijah was with her. But just like many times now, you might share the Word of God and share the Word of God, share the Gospel with people, and there's no sense of understanding until something clicks. And then it's, I see, I know. And this was that moment for this woman. You, what you've told me about God is true. I know it's true. Sometimes it doesn't take miraculous things. I, I remember Paul, uh, this one man, Paul Johnson. He's sharing the gospel with this guy. He's sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel with this guy. Over and over, he's, he's trying to explain. The guy said, this doesn't make sense. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. So he calls up George Caruso. George Caruso is an evangelist kind of guy. He, he's really, he's got a gift for evangelism. He comes over. He shares the exact same things. And the guy says, I see. I understand. And he believed and accepted Christ. You know, it's, <laughs> now I know. I know. And, and, I, and I may be wrong. I've been wrong before. But I may be wrong, but I think I'm going to see this Gentile woman in heaven one day. I think she came to know that the, that the God of Elijah was the true God and not Baal. And I bet she followed him and followed his story and followed the, the, the events that take place on Mount Carmel. I bet she said, that's Elijah. That's my boy. That's my boy. He was in my house. You know, he was in my house. He stayed in my house for, for years. I mean, he was with me. It was through him that he, he gave my son life. And that's Elijah. And that's his God. I believe him. I bet anything that that woman came to know Christ. Not Christ. Came to know God. And, and through her faith in the living God was redeemed by the blood of Christ. When the blood of Christ was shed. Our time is gone. We were supposed to get through the sacrifice on, we were supposed to get through the, uh, the uh, challenge on Mount Carmel today, but obviously we didn't even get close to that. So I'm going to have to work on another message because I was already, I was already working on Elijah running from Jezebel, and I'm going to have to move really quick if I'm going to get through him running from Jezebel. But the Lord, I pray the Lord will bless the just a few thoughts we had this morning on this life of this wonderful man of God. And he had flaws just like you did. Sometimes he shook his hand, if, if we could say this reverently, in the face of God and said, why? Why have you done this? Why? And yet at the same time, he could be obedient and say, okay, you've called me to Zarephath, right into the heart of, of Baal worship? I'll go. I'll go. And then he offers this sacrifice on, on Mount Carmel. Power and beauty and glory and all that takes place there. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then the next thing you know, he's running from Jezebel. He's just like you and I. He's just like us. He's a human with emotions and struggles and doubts and fears. Just like you and I. But God used him just like he'll use us for his glory. Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that you would bless these few thoughts to our hearts. May we learn that even with all our faults and even with all our doubts, that your word can speak to our hearts and can make miraculous changes within us. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to thee in Jesus' name. Amen.